This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Cullum. Today's episode is with the director of the Raleigh Chapter of Safe Families for Children, Cherie Jimenez. You may be asking, what is Safe Families for Children? Well, imagine if you were a single mom who lost your job and you found yourself on the brink of homelessness because the reality is you have no income and you don't have any family support to help you get back on your feet. It's really hard to imagine if that is not your reality, but it is one of many crises families find themselves in. Safe Families is a nonprofit, faith-based organization whose mission is to host vulnerable children, creating extended family-like support for families in these crises. They do this through a community of devoted volunteers, and today Cherie is sharing all about what the Safe Families for Children looks like when lived out. Before we begin, I want to remind you that Cherie's episode, along with all Grace Enough episodes, can be found at graceenoughpodcast.com. In the show notes, you will find links and resources discussed during that episode. You will also find quotes from guests and other episodes that are available related to our current discussion. For example, in Cherie's show notes, you will find episode 37 with Dr. Lindsay Henson and Foster Parenting, episode 48, Tori Hope Peterson and Hope for the Foster Child, among others. You can find the show notes at graceenoughpodcast.com forward slash show notes. Now let's begin this week's conversation, episode 105 with Cherie Jimenez. What is a safe family? Good afternoon, Cherie. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. As we get going, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and your family and what you do. Okay. Well, I am the director of Safe Families of Children here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and um, I have recently joined the team um, about six or seven months ago, actually right before COVID, which has been an interesting um, time to join a ministry and then everything just shut down, but um, it's been a real privilege um, to work for this ministry. Um, I've been in nonprofit work for about 20 to 25 years and had been home um, raising a family. And my husband is a minister. And so we recently moved back into the Raleigh area and was introduced to this ministry and just um, really felt like this was something I wanted to be involved in. And mainly because my husband, who took a church in Greenville, South Carolina, mm. our church was in an area that was a very low income area. And we had a lot of at-risk families around us. And a majority of our church came from outside of the community. We had, I, both my husband and I had a heart to really reach our community. And so um, really opened my eyes to the needs of so many families and what they're the lack of um, contacts, social isolation that many of these families deal with. 
And so the Lord just kind of prepped our hearts, just being able to see up close so many of those families and really trying to enclose them in our fold and, and minister to them, not just transactionally, but relationally build those relationships. And so when we did come to Raleigh and I heard about safe families um, it was just a real blessing. You know how the Lord does that. He just brings yeah. the next step in your life when you're open. And so when I heard about, um, say, families and what they do, I knew that this was something that I knew was needed, but really felt passionately about reaching um, families, at-risk families in the area and helping kids stay out of foster care. So Yeah. Well, and we're going to talk a little bit about what Safe Families is. But before we do that... Tell everybody a little bit about your faith journey and just, you know, how you came to know Jesus and what your life and ministry has looked like up to this point. That's a great question. I was brought up in a Christian home. We have a wonderful spiritual legacy. My grandparents were missionaries in Haiti for 46 years, which is unheard of. I spent my summers um, going to see my grandparents and so got a really unique um, just perspective, not only of missions, but really of poverty in a third world country, which really just changed my mindset just on American culture and while love America and love what they offer and just the beautiful things that we get to enjoy I, really at a young age. It really um, helped me understand how the rest of the world lives. And that's a wonderful gift. And mm-hmm. My grandparents were a part of an independent. They went out. Um, we, they were not a part of affiliation or a denomination. And so um, wow. just to be a part of that ministry um, as a grandchild, seeing my grandparents serve um, just had a huge impact on me. Of course, that doesn't make you a Christian to see that. Yeah. But overall, that legacy of sacrifice and understanding that It takes sacrifice to win people to the Lord. Mm. Um, I became a Christian young at age. My grandmother actually led me to the Lord, which was precious in one of the times that we were there. And um, I have a loving, incredible Christian family. My dad owned furniture stores. But when we graduated from high school, they actually took over the work of my grandparents. Wow. And so um, just had that legacy of not only my grandparents being there in Haiti, my, my parents took over the work in the late 90s. And so right now they are there, they are getting older and will retire soon. So now my kids get to go visit their grandparents. So cool. In Haiti. And so we have that beautiful uh, legacy uh, just of missions, of sacrifice, of understanding that not everything is like we see it in suburbia. And then my husband and I are in ministry together and serve. So while we're not in missions work, my husband is a minister. Haiti is the first country that I went to outside of America. And I'll never forget. I mean, I went to do missions there, just a short-term trip. And yes, the poverty really struck me, but the roads and the way people drive, I was like, (laughs) I'm going to die. It's crazy. Yes. Yes. No, no doubt. Um, And then, you know, I ended up taking my kids right out of after the earthquake. Oh, wow. That was huge. And a lot of people were like, I can't believe you're taking your kids. But I mean, Emma Grace at that point was 10. She had been there before, but I just wanted my kids to Mm -hmm. see 
and um, you know, they can handle a lot more than you think. Absolutely. And um, you know, that is a legacy that I can give them and um, they've gone back and forth many times. And so it's just, it's sweet. That's incredible. Well, tell us a little bit about Safe Families. What is it? What is the purpose and the mission behind Safe Families? Well, first of all, it was started in 2005 up in Chicago. We are a national ministry. I help with a local chapter. And our founder, Dave Anderson, actually had served as foster parents and had been involved. Um, He has an incredible heart just to change the foster care system, Mm. but realized that once kids get into foster care, there are so many things that have already happened and experiences that have already been had. And foster families are needed. It's definitely that until Jesus comes. We will have probably in um, foster families and need for foster care. One of the things that he had a heart was if we were able to give a lifeline to parents before social Mm -hmm. services were called, before health and human services had to get involved, what would that look like? Because there are parents for whatever reason have been put in situations where they don't have family like support. They Mm -hmm. don't, they live in isolation. And when a crisis comes, they don't have family just to put things in, in, in context, because my grandparents and parents were missionaries, both of both, when both of my children were born, my parents were not able to come and be there. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget while I was not necessarily in crisis, if I had not had family-like support come and help me, because we had actually just moved. I actually moved the day before we moved into a house. I went into labor. (laughs) And so I literally brought a newborn, my second child home to a new home, new state, new job, new everything with my husband. And I remember how helpless I felt. And thankfully we had our church family, but I just was so overwhelmed. And so, you know, just thinking of uh, mainly women who we serve and about 96% of single moms that people would not have that type of support and be isolated and not have a church family, not have people to call upon, you know, so many times things happen and their children get placed in, in foster care because one or two different bad things happen. And, you know, sometimes we think generational poverty is definitely something that is experienced, but there are a lot of families and even more so now, Amber, as you understand with what's going on with COVID (sighs) that, you know, find themselves in in dire situations where they were gainfully employed, they had insurance Mm. and may they, they might not have had a couple months of salary saved up, but more and more people are finding themselves in situations where they don't have not only the finances, but the support system. And so um, the needs are going to be even greater in the days to come. But so anyway, he started this ministry just thinking, Hey, if we could come alongside of parents, keep their children and find the support they need, whether um, it's job training, whether it's any type of rehab, whether it's putting them in um, some type of job training or finding them a home. And we could help them keep their children in a safe place. They maintain full custody. This is not something mandated by the state. Mm -hmm. They do not sign their children over, Mm -hmm. but through just being able to be a support system for them, they 
allow us to keep their children so that they can make those changes necessary. And so many times women um, will find a job, but maybe it's a job that's seven at night till seven in the morning. That's right. They have a 12 hour shift. Who's going to keep their children? Yes. Who's going to. And so, you know, one of the things I try to remind people, people are not here because they don't want their children, but they are put in situations, whether by their own doing or regardless, we, we all do things and make, um, make decisions that have ramifications. And if we didn't have a support system, where would we be? And so, so many of these um, individuals that we serve just need help. So um, we are able to step in and through our host families who are vetted much like a foster care, not to the degree, of course, these are just regular families that say, hey, I want to help um, help a family out and host their children while the parents get the help that they need. Yeah. So that idea was started back in 2005 in Chicago. And now we're over, we're in over 60 different chapters. We have 60 different chapters and actually have chapters in um, the United Kingdom, Canada, and Hong Kong. Wow, that's awesome. um, It's just spreading um, because this need is not just uh, United States, North America. Well, yeah. And I mean, what a picture too of, you know, more of a gospel type mindset in the sense of we're trying to, you're trying to meet the needs of people to not get to the point where, you know, the government is getting involved and not because the government's all bad, but I mean, it is our responsibility. God has asked us to help care for the orphan and the widow. And while this is not an orphan, a lot of times when they continue down the path of having no support, that a lot of times is what happens. And then you're stepping in and it's really late. A lot of people too kind of get confused when we talk about it because this isn't foster care. I tell people this is a proactive and we need both. You know, sometimes people ask me, why don't you just train more people to be foster parents? That's great. And we definitely, there are so many churches and families and even some of our families that serve with safe families are foster parents, but there's a need for both. And if we can proactively look at the situation and step in with the parents' permission and support and help them, like you said, before the government comes in. And again, um, we cannot make an overall assumption. They want to do what is best and what is right, giving them the benefit of the doubt. But anytime you have something from top down government, whether it be federal or even state and local it's just incredibly hard to do that well when there is just so much bureaucracy and my hats off to the many people here in Wake County. They do an incredible job, but our heartbeat is to work with them and being able to work and, and prevent children from actually even having to go into foster care. And so I tell people, because sometimes churches will say, well, you know, we do foster care and I'm like, that is great. But one of the other things that churches can be involved in is be proactive also in that where you do both. You take a proactive look at the whole foster care and you also respond. So there's a proactive, but there's also a response. And that's what we do, Amber. We contact local churches and we go through churches 
and my husband being a minister, it's a huge blessing because so many churches want to have more of a transa- I mean, a, tr- a relational versus a transactional. I mean, it's great to do backpack drives and to collect different things and do fall festivals, that type of thing. But churches don't have a lot of times because of where they're located or just the people they serve don't have those contacts. And what's great is that we can come to a church and say, we would love to train your people to wrap support around these families that are in need. And together the church can assume what I truly believe was the rightful place of the church. And, you know, at the turn of the century, not this past century, but the 19th century, you know, the church and um, charities were very involved with that. Yes, And it was in the forties and fifties when really the churches started becoming more inward focused that many churches stopped thinking about that and the government stepped in and for better, for worse, that's gone on. But our heartbeat is also to train the local church and train. I don't mean they don't know, but give them tools really on how that they can come alongside families, walk with families, support families, and really get their church involved in a way that is a relationship. And so many of the families that we serve, Amber, those relationships are longstanding. Even after the children go back home, that support system that is put around them, the goal is that they will have that support system if they choose to have that. It's been interesting during COVID, a lot of call, a lot of intake has has just stopped just because there's a lot of government agencies reporting with kids not being in school. There's not as much reporting going on, um, calls, that type of thing. But many of the families that we have served previously because they've stayed in touch with families, we've been able to continue support. And, you know, even think about it a year ago, say a family got, um, there were so many families that we served in 2019 that found jobs, that found housing, But again, they had just started this process. Many of those people lost their jobs in March, April, and May while they had just gotten established, Mm. found employment, found housing. You know, they were living paycheck to paycheck, but they were, they were doing it by themselves. That's right. Yeah. Now have gone back into whether they lost, a lot of them are in the hospitality, serving hospitality. And so a lot of those jobs have been taken Um, or the, you know, with restaurant, you know, all of that. And so we see a lot of people struggling that had previously gotten on their feet, previously had gotten settled, now coming back and saying, you know, we need help. And what's great is now they do have a support system. That's right. And they feel like they they can reach out. And they have churches. And that's what the beautiful thing is. I mean, you don't have to be a believer to do this program, but it's been amazing to see churches. And when people see churches caring in this respect, it's just a beautiful thing because they don't, you know, it's hard for them initially to understand. You mean these people aren't getting paid to do this? Because in their mindset, you know, with foster care, people don't do it because of the money. We understand that. But in their mind, you know, like foster care, people get paid, you know, to to foster that type of thing. And, you know, when people are like, oh, your families don't get paid, they do it because they just want to open their homes. Well, and that's the thing that I want people to know. Like if you were coming into, let's just say you were coming into my church, Crossroads Fellowship, and and I said, I'm interested in being becoming a safe family for a child. 
what does that actually mean? Like, what would I be doing? What would me and my husband and my children be doing? Right. Um, just so people know, you know, fostering is very long term. This is That's more right. short term. That's right. But what are some of those things? Like, what would I expect my day to day life and connection um, as a safe family to be? Well, and that's what's really sweet about safe families. There's a lot of different, you know, either you foster or you don't foster. With safe families, there are many different roles that, that people can take on. And we call it our circle of support where you have a host family and a host family does have a longer and, a, and more intensive commitment because they actually take the children in. But beyond that, we have um, a support system with every host family that comes alongside of them. So we have family friends and these are people that arrange meals, arrange transportation, provide babysitting, all sorts of different things in order to help the host family. Um, so there you have a host family, you have a resource friend that you can sign up to be, and we go through a vetted process for all of our volunteers because we are safe families for children. And we want to make sure that right. even if you're bringing a meal or you are transporting a child, um, not that you have to have that to bring a meal, but do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, like you absolutely. Are part of the process that we are, we are telling parents they have been through a process, a yes. vetting process, so that your child will be safe and they understand when they're handing their children over willingly that these children are going to be with people that have been vetted. And so we have family friends, we have resource friends, and those are people that just sign up find resources for our families. Like if children need clothing, like right. a lot of times, um, you know, if we have uh, host some children that have been homeless or hosts, you know, they'll need, they'll need clothing. They may need school supplies. They may need, there's just a myriad of different things mm -hmm. that those children could need or a parent. And as a parent is getting the help that they need, they may need, you know, some job training or they may need somebody to help put a resume together or help them think through, you know, employment options. Right. And so there's, I tell people there's really something for everybody. Um, a grandparent to a single person can be involved in this. Now, a grandparent could host if they wanted to. There's not a, right. but it, it is great because at different times and seasons, people are able to do different things. And so this circle of support, we also have a family coach that helps with the whole process of communication and having um, communicate with the parent and the children and the host family. And so this whole circle of support, which would be a host family, family friend, resource friend, family coach, we come into a church and train for this. And so say your church decided they wanted to be a safe family church. We would come in and do like an information session and just say, Hey, this is what safe families is. This is what it looks like. And then if a church decided to go forward, we would come and train and people could decide, you know, we really feel like at this time in our life, you know, we could be a host family, a hosting Amber could be a couple nights yeah. to a couple months. I would say when people ask us an average hosting, I would say probably a couple weeks to uh, maybe two months. Yeah. Now, on either side, you know, it could be a night or two, or it could be more than a couple months. Yeah. But um, that would be kind of an average hosting. Right. And there are people that sign up just to do respite, which means like, say a family came and we knew it was going to be maybe a long-term hosting, maybe two to three months but we needed to pick up the children that night. Well, a, a family may not be ready to make a decision 
at nine o'clock at night, hey, can you keep these kids for several months? Or sometimes, you know, we try to keep all the children together, but sometimes they, they will have to be split up. And um, so sometimes we just say, hey, could somebody keep the kids for a night or two until we figure out what's going to be best for this family? What can we provide? If children are in school, and this is different now with children more in school, a lot of times we try to find somebody, some a family maybe close to their existing school. Right. You know, there's a lot of different considerations. Um, there, there, You can just do respite where it would be a night or two or say, We'll do a respite. We can, you know, host however long. And we try to give as much information up front right. so that a family can make, you know, a lot of times we find information out afterwards. Um, but to the best of our ability, we try to, you know, say, yeah. okay, what are your goals? And, you know, when people have gotten to this place, it's taken quite a bit of time. And so we tell people, our, we're not here to help them solve all their problems, but we are here to get them to the next step. So mm-hmm. if it's a homeless person, then we start with, okay, you need a place, a safe place, yeah. not only for yourself, but for your children. So let's figure out you know, what that looks like. In Raleigh there in Wake County, we have something called coordinated entry, which is a wonderful thing where a lot of organizations work together and, and government entities where we can walk through, I know when somebody comes to me, okay, this ministry and this ministry are helping them. And so there's a coordinated actual effort versus kind of hopping from ministry to ministry, which can be difficult because we're all kind of working in coordination so that we can help people get to the next step. Right. Yeah. And so what we try to do is set some achievable goals, not okay, it's going to take you two years to be able to buy a house or rent. You know what I'm saying? We are trying to get them to the next step. And hopefully through those support systems that are established, then they will have a support system that will help them out of the position that they're in and to a safer place. How do you guys get connected with these families? Question. We work with about 20 to 30 different partners here in the Raleigh area. We work very closely with Raleigh Rescue Mission, Mm -hmm. several of the um, homeless, different homeless shelters. We work with a lot of Christian partners when it comes to food scarcity or any other um, maybe child abuse, child prevention, that type of thing. And so what what we have tried to do over the last couple of years being established here is make connections. And, you know, we go to different organizations and tell them, Hey, this is what we do. So you can be aware because not, there's not one ministry that can meet everybody's needs. That's right. So we really yeah. try to work in a coordinated effort and also together where, you know, there may be a mom that um, started at um, the crisis pregnancy center. And she's decided to keep her baby, but she already has children and she has nowhere to go. So what we would do is keep children while she decided, or, you know, am I going to keep the child? Am I going to give the baby up for adoption? So we would work with birth choice and crisis pregnancy. You know, there would be a lot of us kind of working through saying, okay, we can keep your children. Yeah. So so say families would serve the role of while you're making this decision and trying to, let's say you keep the newborn, make it through those few weeks or a few months. We'll keep your older children with this host family, but you're not going to lose your kids. Instead, you have this support system. Right. 
And I mean, it's been interesting, Amber. I mean, I've been called, you know, in the middle of the night by a nurse saying, hey, we have a mom here that came to have a baby. She doesn't have any family. And she mm. just thought she could bring a two and three-year-old yeah. and put them in a chair and say, hey, I brought some toys and they won't bother anybody. And, and they're like, we're, you know, we're going to have this mom's going to have a C-section. She's going into surgery, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I've, you know, we've been able to arrange to have the kids picked up. And so sometimes it's not even a situation. It's just where, you know, a mom goes into labor or has to deliver. She has no support system and she just brings her kids to the hospital. Well, and I think that's the thing that I, it's so hard for myself and others to think outside of your world you know, to someone who's never experienced that or they have this constant support, it's hard to imagine that would ever happen. And it's really easy to get judgy about that. But if you take yourself and you put yourself in that situation, you do what you have to do to survive. Right. And your survival at that mode is to, at that point, is to bring your kids with you. That's right. Because the That's other right. way is you're leaving your kids at home. That's right. And then you're ending up, they're ending up in foster care. That's right. And that, you know, that happens all the time. You would be surprised. It's just, there's so many different scenarios, even coming on board where you just, like you said, you don't think about it. That's right. Because we have a support system. You know, mm-hmm. I go into labor in the middle of the night. You know, I have somebody to call or a neighbor or somebody. Whereas a mom, she may not have anybody. And um, there's been situations where, um, a family member has had to go get tested for COVID or has been treated. And, you know, we have had to keep the children. And again, I mean, we have volunteers for, you know, that will say, you know what, we are willing to take that risk. And, and, and I don't want to make it sound just because people don't take that risk. I mean, we have different families right. that have children that maybe have healthcare issues or they care for an elderly family member and yes. can't do that. But it's amazing to me, the families that step forward saying, you know, we just don't know the situation, but this child has no place to go. And this parent is being treated for COVID. Wow. So we work with the hospital systems and, um, you know, I'm not saying this happens all the time, but I'm just trying to let you know, just the different, all the different scenarios that we just don't think about that happen. Um, you know, and there are so many parents too, that because they work, um, they have children that need to be helped with, with um, school. school. Yes. And so we have worked with several of our safe family churches to provide places where kids could be dropped off and have a safe place because parents cannot work. That's right. I mean, Um, yeah, they have a job, you know, people have been able to make shift and Hey, I'll keep the kids this week, or maybe my kids can go over and, you know, but there are families that don't have that. So we've really tried to be creative the last six months as to, you know, what people need and how we can come alongside of them. Mm. And, um, you know, as we kind of enter this new, while there's a vaccine and, you know, on its way, with winter and when people will get it, we just don't know. And so we just always try to stay open to Lord, how do you want us to serve families? Will you just share with the listener, maybe one or two um, impact stories. And we're particularly talking about the Wake County area because that's where you're, um, you know, the chapter director, but really they could apply to any chapter around the nation and even, you know, internationally. And so will you just share maybe one or two impact stories and 
What I love about safe families, and, and I'm not a safe family, but from people that I know is the relationship sometimes that is maintained much more long term um, in the sense of maybe a family hosts uh, multiple children and that mom gets on their feet, but maybe one or two years down the line, this safe family is still saying, hey, yeah, have your kids come over and spend the night so you can just maybe get a break or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, So anyways, yeah, share a couple. Well, um, thinking of two instances, one of the things that is really sad, but is such a need is there are many children that age out of foster care Mm -hmm. that find themselves in a situation where they have a child. And um, one of the gals that we've been walking along, um, she aged out of foster care. And um, when she called, she said, you know, I swore I wouldn't, this wouldn't happen to me, but I have, I have a baby and I have no place to go. And I need to find a job. Um, I need to find childcare for my child. Um, But she was scared half to death because being in foster care and having that mentality that Mm -hmm. the government or people are trying to take my baby away, Mm -hmm. it's really hard. I mean, she, she needed our help, but it was kind of like, stop, start, stop, start. You know, it's hard to gain trust. And Mm -hmm. she said, you know what? I don't feel, I don't feel comfortable y'all hosting her baby boy. So we said, you know what? And we don't, you know, like I said, each situation is different, That's but, right. but what we said is, Hey, you know what? We will come and pick up your child every single day. She couldn't drive. She was 19 years old. No one had ever taught her to drive. Oh goodness. See, that's the thing. You just don't. And so you, some of these when things. I was exactly, I'm sitting with her and you know, you just go, what? Yeah. I mean, I, I thought she was kidding initially. And she goes, now, do you think you could teach me to drive too? And wow. I just, I mean, my, it was so hard for me to just be like, oh my goodness. Like, yeah. so I was like, well, let's get a job first, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I mean, she had to learn how to drive. She was, I mean, she would need to get a car insurance, my, you know, all of yes. that. Yes. And so we said, you know what, we will take care of your child. And so it, we found out it was going to take her um, she needed to find a job in order to secure ch- child care voucher. So there's the system. So we helped her find a job. And so when she was going out during the day, we would help pick up little Jeremiah, keep him. He's six months old, precious. They kept him during the day when she was looking, she found a job. Then she had to work so much to be able to qualify for a child care voucher. Mm-hmm. And then what happened was then she got the night shift. Mm-hmm. And so childcare, even with getting a childcare voucher, they're only open till a lot of them do like seven to seven, seven to eight or nine. But we you know, say you're working a five to midnight shift. That's right. And that's what a lot of, that's what a lot of second shift is like that's two to right. 11, you know, what that's if, I mean, right. that's, yeah. And so, um, you know, we, we found ourselves and we said, you know what, let's just take it one day at a time. But We'll, we will help you. And so she got Jeremiah into for a couple hours and then we would pick the baby up from childcare, help keep the baby till she finished and then brought the baby back. Sometimes we would keep the baby overnight. Um, we always try to work with parents. Um, and this is actually a more intensive job because you're going back and forth, back and forth, back and right. forth. Right, right. But again, that's where she was at and she needed our help. Yeah. And so um, the hosting will end actually this weekend. We've been hosting for three months. Wow. She now has a job. 
She worked kind of the graveyard shift for a while and starting next week, she will be working like a eight to three thirty four o'clock shift. Right. Yeah. More of an and eight. now, you know, the baby has childcare during those hours, but um, you know, that was something that we just said, okay, let's get to the point where you have a place. She found housing based on her, you know, her job requirements yeah. and, so she has a safe place. You know, it's bittersweet because we just love her and this little boy. And we, we've we had people, you know, step up to babysit, bring meals, um, so many different things. Wow. She called one night and um, had some physical issues. And so I went, picked her up, took her to the emergency room. And wow. um, I did that only because we had just met her and she really only knew me. And I yeah. knew that. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm always having to go out. Right, we have right. people. She didn't have like during, the whole, during, all the stuff set up She yet. didn't. And she didn't know where to go. And so we got her set up with, um, you know, a good doctor that she could see. But most of these people, when they get, when something happens, they just go to the emergency room. Mm-hmm. So, um, so anyway, so that's just um, a very recent case, but th- it's going to be a long-term relationship because she's going to need, I mean, Well, you know, and that's something that's a good question. Like you guys won't continue helping her, but what does that mean? Like if she, she basically will always have this contact and she just right, knows, hey, I can reach out right. to you whenever. Right. And, um, you know, depending on how willing and responsible, you know, we do try to set healthy boundaries, right. But with her, you know, we, she has worked really, really hard and that's where relationships, you know, um, a church has stepped forward and wanted to give her and her son a Christmas. And so they're providing, they've got stuff for her found bed crib. I mean, all sorts of things. Um, to help her get settled in her place. Yeah. And so, you know, that's been, you know, something that, you know, through that relationship and, you know, the goal is that if those relationships can continue and say she needs a weekend respite or she's just like, I'm really overwhelmed or, Hey, I've been able to pick up a couple extra shifts. Yeah. You know, could, could somebody keep, you know, the baby while I do that? And so that relationship will continue. And, um, you know, we try to set boundaries. We're not there to, you know, do everything for them. Right. But when they show responsibility and we can work with them and the family coach is continually, you know, each person kind of plays a role, a a host family, a family friend, a resource friend, a family coach. It really Mm. does take a village to kind of walk with these individuals. I think that's nice, though, because then all the weight doesn't just fall on Mm. the host family. All the weight doesn't just fall on, you know, the resource person. And I think sometimes that's what can happen in government is all this falls on a social worker who's dealing with 9 million cases and then you're short on foster homes and the foster family often has no idea what's going on. And so it's nice to hear, you know, that there's these different pods of people there to serve different roles. Right, right. And that really is a key and just you know, our founder realized that just having a host family, they're going to get burnt out if there's not a support system. And that's why it's so important when we go into a church and train that we are training people to, you know, to serve a certain role. 
And that's why there's something for everybody to do and to be involved in, um, you know, these circles of support. And it also just helps the church be the church. Right. And, you know, that type of thing. And so that, that's a really sweet situation. Another one, a mom, we got a call. She had three children under the age of seven and she was living in an abusive situation. Mm -hmm. And she said, I, I cannot subject my children to this or myself anymore, but I don't have anywhere to go. And so we, she came to us, we've been hosting her kids since August. Um, We could not find a family during this time that could keep all three kids. So we had the baby stay with one family because that was more intensive. And then the two other children stay with another family and um, help her find a job, helped her find housing, another church, help her get established and, um, she got established in an apartment right before Thanksgiving. And so they, we helped move them in and get established an apartment and got a call from her. And she's like, I'm here with my three kids, you know, it's just us, but we're having a Thanksgiving, you know, it was just a sweet, a sweet, sweet time. And, um, you know, we've invested in this family and the kids and the host families. And so it's just, it's a really, um, you know, for whatever reason they call us, it's always unique in some right. situation. You know, there's always some, there's some things that always there as far as like they need housing or they need a job or that type of thing, but just the situations and how they got there is unique. Yeah. But our job is to try to walk alongside of them. Um, I want to make sure too, that I present the reality that there are people that come and don't really want our help, but think they want their help. You That's know? right. They're not willing. And it is hard. It's just like foster care. I mean, you can, it, it, you get some things that are really, really tough. That's right. And it's hard. We had a family or, a, you know, a mom that just, there was so much more than we could help her with. Mm. We had to get a couple other um, entities involved in that type of thing. And it's not because she didn't want it. It's just sometimes when generational poverty has been there for so long, just patterns are hard Yeah, in a couple of months. Isn't going to do it. That's right. That's now, right. I will say, you know, if a parent is willing to work with us, we will do a hosting up to a year mm. dependent on the severity of the case and just, you know, right. exactly the progress and what's going on progress and that type of thing. But, um, you know, sometimes it ends not the way we want, but you know what we've tried and we've come alongside and at any time, they could choose to call us back and we tell them, you know, if you need something and we can help and, you know, you can do the things that we're asking you to do while we keep your children, then we're here to serve you and love you and support you. But it does take a parent willing to do the hard work. That's right. Not just have somebody babysit their kids. That's right. Well, and that's good to hear too, because um, at that point, sometimes you do have to call in something, you know, more pro, not proactive, but, um, you know, that's when you have to call in government because there have to be extra steps taken if the children aren't going to be in a safe environment long-term. That's right. And, you know, on occasion we've had to get social services involved because that was the best thing. Yeah. You know, but that is our last, (laughs) you know, that is our last resort. And the goal really is that Amber, that we keep, families try to keep families together together and that we, you know, keep families intact. And we say, we want to keep, you know, children safe and families intact. 
so that a family can be a family and not have to get the government involved. But if, if we do, then, you know, we will, you know, and that we do that very intrepidly. That's Mm -hmm. not something we want to do, but we also have to understand that we are not always equipped to take care and that we try our best, but sometimes the situation is to the point where that, that needs to take place. Well, Sheree, if someone wants more information to just about how to get involved, um, taking it before their church, where can they go to get more information, whether that's, uh, again, to become a host family themselves or to donate? I mean, the reality is every ministry needs uh, financial resources as well. So tell everybody where they can find safe families. Well, our website, and it's a little, it's it's Raleigh um, dot and then safe dash families.net. And um, so uh, maybe we can give that out to people. Um, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, maybe too. put that in there. And they can certainly, we have an intake call, like an intake number if people want that, that we can, um, you know, that we can give. Okay, it's 919-346-7051. Yeah, and the good news is, I mean, even if you just put in safe-families, there's a nice little search tab there where let's say that you're listening. I mean, I have several listeners in Tampa, Florida. Just type in Tampa and it will point you towards that chapter or Raleigh or Lexington, Kentucky, and it will let you know if there's one in your city, in your area. Um, And then when you can go to the national, you know, if they do that and they can look and see if there is a chapter in their area. That's right. Absolutely. Well, Cherie, thank you so much for being here today and for just what you do and giving us this information, because I know it's something that's so needed in our world. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for what you do, getting the word out. If you didn't catch the website or phone number Cherie mentioned, remember those will be linked at graceenoughpodcast.com forward slash show notes for easy reference. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.